welcome to the Diversity Gap Academy, where good intentions meet true cultural change. My name is Bethany Wilkinson, and I am your host. Happy Tuesday. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Diversity Gap Academy. For today's topic, we are talking about villains. When I think of villains, the first thing that comes to mind is Voldemort from Harry Potter. And then second is Sauron from Lord of the Rings. Um, Yeah, I'm just reminded of these grand, pure evil characters who are just out to scorch the earth. Um, But then, of course, I'm aware of Frodo and Harry Potter and all the good guys who save the day. But anyway... Um, when I come back to reality, I find that we also make villains of our neighbors, coworkers, and peers more often than we probably talk about. For me, especially in moments of fear and uncertainty, I'm inclined to paint those who seem to be my opposition with a really broad brush. Um, they can't do anything right. They are only out to get me and to perpetuate harm. And in those moments, it can be tough to maintain that even the person I perceive to be my worst enemy is still a person. They are human. They still have dignity and are worthy of respect. Now, that doesn't mean we don't set boundaries with harmful people. I am here for the boundaries, all for boundaries. Um, I've learned as of late that boundaries simply protect what we deem most valuable. But in a few moments, I want to unpack some thoughts related to how we villainize people in the organizational context, especially as it relates to diversity, inclusion, and creating a liberating culture. Now, before we get into the details of this topic as a part of our culture series, there are two announcements I want to make. Um, Number one is just a huge thank you to the newest patrons of the Diversity Gap Academy. Y'all, every time I get a little email notification saying that someone has become a patron, my I know this isn't all about me, but gosh, my whole being just swells with joy and gratitude. I literally do a little dance. I'm just so elated and humbled and overwhelmed and grateful that people say yes to being a part of this. And so I want to thank by name Heather, Jordan, Callie, another Heather, and Jesse. I'm just elated you have made this decision to invest in the Academy in this way, and I'm excited to journey with you. So thank you. You're making this podcast and everything else I'm working on right now, you're making it possible with your investment. So thank you. For those of you who haven't signed on to be patrons yet, I wanted to let you know we have a special patron-only opportunity coming up this Friday, January 29th, where I'm going to host a live session and conversation with my good friend, Kiani Igwe. She is brilliant. She's an educator, activist. Um, she creates tons of great resources, an incredible blog, and she's committed her life to the liberation of black children from oppressive ideas, stories, and systems. So if you are interested in being challenged and how you think about black liberation, education, organizations, policy, and more, then you have to join this conversation. And you can do so by signing up through Patreon as a member. You will get access to this conversation if you join at the $10 a month level. So anything from $10 a month up to $50 a month, you're going to get access to this one-of-a-kind conversation with my really good friend. Okay, so those are all of the announcements for now. Um, I will put a link to all of the Patreon things in the show notes as usual, but let's turn the page. Let's get into today's topic. 
A few years ago, I stumbled upon an article by the Center for Community Organizations based in Montreal. They released research and an incredible infographic called the quote unquote problem woman of color in the workplace. I will link to this Um, research in the show notes because once you go to their website you'll be able to see so much more about their process about their organization and I want you to have all of the information Um, but this infographic outlined a process that women of color often go through when joining a majority white organization that seeks to diversify their staff when the woman of color enters the organization she immediately experiences a honeymoon phase she's welcomed by the majority white leadership team she feels happy needed, appreciated, but what is rarely discussed up front is the dynamic of her being a tokenized hire. When it comes to tokenized hires, things can go one of two ways. Either the tokenized hire remains the token, um, so they're representing all of the people of color for an extended period of time, or the organization continues to hire multiple people from various racial and ethnic backgrounds until there is a critical mass of true representational diversity. In many instances, however, the woman of color continues to exist as the tokenized hire, i.e. as a person hired to both do their job and represent all racial diversity, which is, from personal experience, no small task. I also want to share from my personal experience, um, and I want the record to show that being hired to do one's normal job and to informally lead the organization's diversity work without additional compensation and without proactive organizational structure and operational support, it is so exhausting, y'all. It is so exhausting. But I digress. Let's return to the research. The woman of color, as she stays on the team, begins to experience microaggressions and repeated injury as the organization's culture isn't one where she can actually thrive. Through interactions with peers, power plays with supervisors, culturally insensitive comments, cultural supremacy, and arrogance on the part of the racial majority, all of these experiences, all of these factors compound. Typically, and I say typically because this is evidence-based research, the woman of color, in addition to her normal job duties, begins to speak up and speak out about the harmful dynamics she's seeing and experiencing. She tries to work within the organization structures to make changes. She pushes for education, training, and accountability. She wants to see the organization change, not only for her own benefit, but for the benefit of her community, for the benefit of other young people of color or people of color who are coming into the organization. She believes that things can be better, so she pushes for things to make it better. But then, over time, she's met with resistance. Either the white leadership denies racism, or as I've observed, they'll admit to seeing racism in an organization across town or in the news, but they never admit to seeing it right under their noses. Um, They deny it, they blame the woman of color, or they blame their past, you know, quote unquote diversity hires. Hey, we tried that once and it didn't work out. At the very worst, they outright ignore her. If they do reach a point where they can acknowledge racism, The burden of fixing it is placed on that woman of color. Start a committee, lead the team, design the programs, gather the resources, teach us how to be better. But don't complain if we resist your efforts to actually make a difference. Make sure that whatever you do doesn't really challenge us in any way. Just do enough so that it looks like we're doing the diversity thing, right? 
And so essentially, the woman of color is now tasked with doing her job excellently because you best believe she's still held accountable for that, dealing with microaggressions and racism, and with fixing the organizational problem, but again, doing so in a way that doesn't make the leadership or the organization feel uncomfortable. Easy. Easy peasy. Oh, and did I mention she's not paid extra for this work? Okay, let's keep going. In a typical scenario, after the woman of color tries to increase racial equity and inclusion within an organization, some form of retaliation ensues. Retaliation also ensues, and this is a personal addition of mine. This isn't in their research. This is just, you know, Bethany's talk, Bethany talking. Um, retaliation also ensues when the woman of color decides to stop playing by the quote-unquote diversity game rules and other unspoken rules of the organization. So what does this look like? Maybe she decides to stop leading diversity change efforts within the organization because she realizes her efforts aren't being taken seriously or they're not valued. Maybe she starts to ask for additional compensation because she knows that she's putting in more work than other people. Maybe this woman of color decides to prioritize her health and her wellness above the organization, which again disrupts that status quo. In short, she decides it's not worth it anymore, and rather than playing the change agent role, she figures out what works best for her and moves in alignment with her vision for her life. Now, I call this liberation for the woman of color, but again, when a woman chooses this, it is disruptive to the status quo, especially if the organization depended on her to play that, you know, diversity role. Um, so in short... When the woman of color, you know, pushes for change or decides to stop pushing for change in the way that she's been told is, uh, is, uh, is acceptable, she becomes the villain. She becomes the villain. Um, I'm pretty sure Taylor Swift has a song about this. It's called Mad Woman. I know Taylor Swift is not a woman of color, obviously, but the song illustrates this dynamic incredibly well. So I'll link to that in the show notes, too. So if you can't tell, yes, I'm sharing the research, um, which you can read up on after this, but I'm also telling things here that have been animated by my own experiences in organizations as well as the experiences of many, and I say many women of color I know personally. So this stuff isn't just in Bethany's head. It's real life. And there's research to back it up. So the retaliation. The woman of color, who was once hailed as the diversity savior of the organization, is now the enemy. She's the problem. We are afraid of her. We don't know what she's going to do. She's the wild card. Um, to save face, the organization calls it something, you know, like, oh, it's just a communication issue. <laughs> or they claim that she was never qualified. Or they simply say, hey, she's no longer a good fit, you know. Um, does any of this sound familiar? Through direct means or indirect means, the woman of color is then targeted and attacked. So maybe a series of board meetings are held to discuss this woman of color. Note how she's not involved in the decisions being made about her and her work, but the meetings are being held. Maybe the legal team is brought in to evaluate how they can fire her without legal blowback. That's real. Maybe the woman of color is directly confronted, demeaned, gaslit by a supervisor or manager. Maybe the environment is made so frustrating and toxic and full of distrust and tension, distrust and tension that the woman leaves because it is overwhelming and exhausting to be looked at like a pariah in an organization. Um, or maybe she's just gently told her time is up and that she needs to resign. All the while, all the while, and this is 
this is so important. All the while, the woman of color is having her own experience, right? So there's all the things the organization's doing, but she's having her own experience of processing trauma and rage, of wanting to burn it all down, but also wanting to make money and preserve her reputation. She's wanting to be brave enough to confront the hard things, but she's also wanting to make sure she can make ends meet for her family. She's needing to prioritize her own needs for once above those of her organization, but she's unsure of how they'll respond, especially if they have a track record of not responding well in the past. The impact of this villainization is harmful, and it spills way outside the bounds of the nine to five. All of this is happening. Ultimately, she exits the organization. As leaders who aspire to create more diverse organizations, it is important for us to sit with the impact of our decisions to hire for diversity. When it doesn't work out, it's important that we step back, lay down our egos, and look at the situation from every side. We also have to go above and beyond to deeply understand the impact of our good intentions. And as leaders, we have to take responsibility, a grueling and uncomfortable amount of responsibility for how our culture, our organizational culture, our policies, our power structures, our fears, our need to protect our money and our influence within within our communities, how are those things impacting the people who join our teams? Individualism, every person out for themselves, it doesn't serve us here. It doesn't work. Not if we are serious about creating cultures where people from different backgrounds can be successful and thrive at work. And if you aren't willing to do this level of self-reflection, interrogation, self-retique, then I would say take your diversity statements down. Take them down. Stop claiming that this is something you value if you're not able to step back and ask, hey, what went wrong here? How are we complicit? What are we actually protecting? And what do we need to change? If you're not ready to have those conversations, um, you can keep, keep your diversity statements to yourself because they don't mean anything. Now, I'm sure many of you might be thinking, gosh, this is literally my worst nightmare. <laughs> this is why I haven't tried to diversify my team yet. This is what I'm afraid of. I don't want to cause women of color, people of color, or any human of any color or no color more harm. I don't want to cause people harm. And so I'm not going to do anything. If this is what you're thinking, rather than diving into solutions, here's what I want you to do. And it's, it's actually pretty simple. I want you to sit with the stories of women of color specifically. And I, and, and I might do a future episode on intersectionality. The dynamic of both women and being a person of color is, um, It's a unique intersection and experience where the systems of oppression, specifically white supremacy and patriarchy, they compound to make an increasingly negative and harmful experience for women of color. So there's a focus of women on on women of color on purpose, and we might get into that in the future. But anyway, like I to get back on track, I want you to sit with the stories of women of color who have lived this dynamic. And I want you to listen closely for the direction they give for how to not only avoid this organizational pitfall, but of how to solve these diversity and equity related challenges as a whole. 
Learn from these women. And if you are able, pay them for their work. Buy their books. Support their membership communities. Do the thing. Put your money where your mouth is. And if you can't tell, one of the most dysfunctional dynamics of the quote-unquote problem woman of color in the workplace is she's tasked with doing a ton of extra work. She's organizing meetups, hosting conversations, vetting speakers and training options, mentoring younger people of color in the organization, all while biting her tongue to keep her job, managing her own biases because she wants to be, you know, she wants to put do what she says she believes in with integrity and navigating the emotional weight of it all while living in a generally racially unstable society. It's so much. <laughs> so we have to do what we can to support women of color who are out here leading this work, giving to us from the very core of their bodies and personhood, and doing it because they believe we can do and be better. Some of the women I love following in this regard um, are Austin Channing Brown, Erna Kim Hackett, Brittany Packnett Cunningham, Tarana Burke, Trisha Hersey, founder of the Nap Ministry, Liz Kleinrock, and Adrienne Marie Brown. I'll link to their social media profiles in the show notes. I'm sure there are so many more. These are just a few that I follow and respect tremendously. One of the most important practices of a liberating culture is to sit in the painful stories of our peers, and it's to resist the urge to fix them. If you are a person of racial privilege or gender privilege in our context, your work is to listen to women who've been villainized in this way and to follow their lead in making things right. If this topic is stirring things up for you, I would highly recommend you join me and my friend Kiani this Friday on Patreon. Um, She and I are going to discuss this woman of color dynamic um, from our own stories in addition to other topics that come up. So become a patron and join us. Otherwise, I will catch you here next Tuesday. I'm not creating an episode for this Friday because I have to submit my final major copy edits to my publisher for the Diversity Gap book. Um, And I have to get those to my editor by Friday. So a lot of my creative energy will be focused there. But I really look forward to catching up with you next Tuesday as we continue in this culture series. All right. Bye, friends. Thank you for checking out this episode of the Diversity Gap Academy. To support the show, you can subscribe, rate, and review. To learn more about the Academy, visit www.thediversitygapacademy.com. And until next time, may your good intentions for diversity lead